I was a semi-professional athlete at one point training two times a day, six days a week. My entire life was this. And it's not healthy. I might have looked pretty good. Radical health and what we're doing here is all about ultimately balance and happiness, right? I hope you love exercise. I want to get, to get you to a place where you love moving and exercising, but not at the sacrifice of extra family time and presence. Hello friends, welcome back to Radical Health Radio. Today, we're talking all about movement, exercise. That's right, we're gonna discuss how to build a well-rounded and balanced movement practice. Some common mistakes that many people make along the way and some myths that could do with getting out of our way. We're gonna talk about the importance of building a little bit of muscle moving frequently at a slow pace. What is functional movement and why it's important? Sprinting once in a while and really turning it up. The idea of overtraining or under-recovering. And then we move into our live section of the show where we bring in callers. And we go into some fun topics today. We talk about how much salt is too much. We talk about how to eat more food on an animal-based diet. We talk about whether it's okay to eat fruit and meat together, as well as many other fun topics. This one is a doozy. Buckle up, we're about to give you a masterclass on movement. I hope you enjoy. So this can be quite a minefield. You don't know which way to look because if you get on social media or you listen to any kind of expert, there seems to be a lot of conflicting information. Some people are all about more, more, more and hustle and tame that in a bitch and just get after it. And some people are all about less, less, less and recovery and keeping stress low. And like with any kind of confusing topic where there's a lot of voices, we often find that most of the truth kind of sits in the middle, that there's value to all of these ideas and we typically kind of just go extreme with them. But the good news for you is I've been in this health and fitness arena for over a decade. I've been a high-level athlete. I've made all of the mistakes, and I've also coached many people through that process. I've been a personal trainer for years. I've helped people with mobility issues, with fat loss goals, with performance goals, and also going on my own journey along this. I've learned a few things along the way. So today's show, we're going to kind of dissect this whole thing, take it apart, empower you with some good solid information. We're gonna address some common myths that are alive and well in this fitness space. We are going to talk about some common mistakes that people make. We're gonna talk about chronic cardio. We're gonna talk about resistance training, weightlifting, animal-based fitness and movement, organic play, why it's so important to build a bit of muscle. Uh, we're gonna talk about avoiding stillness and the importance of walking and avoiding your stillness factor. But the best place to start is to try and work into some of these very resistant myths that won't seem to go away in the health and fitness space. And the one that stands out for me is just this classic idea that more is better. And that's not always the case. I think our culture um, is very beholden to this story in many, many ways. A little bit of something is good, then more of it must be better. So we start, you know, running 10 miles a week and then that's great, but we, we gotta run 15 and 20. And where does that end? You know, we go to one fitness class a week, then it's three, then it's five, then it's seven. Because in our heart, we believe we're doing something good, right? This is a good thing, it's a healthy behavior. So why wouldn't more of it be better? Well, the issue arises with this idea of stress 
We understand that exercise is a stressor. And maybe being a modern human is quite a stressful endeavor. And a lot of the times we're not carving out the space for ourselves to adequately, adequately recover between those bouts of exercise. And what I really want to focus on is maybe this paradigm of less but better. And this is important because it's a really a quality over quantity approach. And I just want you to feel into this for a second. Do you think it would be more beneficial for you to go and move your body very intentionally, very well thought out in a way that is fun and challenging to you and you love it three days a week versus going to something that's a little crazy, haphazard, you don't like doing it, but you've convinced yourself that you have to earn this food or pay off your sins every day of the week and kind of resent doing that. Which one do you think sounds healthier? Which one do you think sounds more balanced? There's a lot of truth in listening to your intuition. And I think we've got to challenge the story that more is better and settle on this idea that less can be better if it's quality work. And this is something that is very, very important to understand. Not only because we want you to get better results, right? We want you to actually see and feel results from your exercise and movement patterns and your routines. And a lot of people get really frustrated in this endeavor because they don't really feel that. They're expending a lot of energy, but they're kind of frustrated. They're not quite looking better. They're not quite feeling better yet. Maybe they're overdoing it. Maybe the quality component isn't there. And if you are bought into this more is better, then you just have to do more of it. And that means more sacrifice away from potentially your family time. Or now you've got to get up every morning 5 a.m. before work because you're trying to squeeze all of this stuff in. And it's, it's extremely exhausting. And I know because I've been there. I was a semi-professional athlete at one point training two times a day, six days a week. My entire life was this. And it's not healthy. I might have looked pretty good, but it's not healthy. My body was breaking down and I was young and I was in my most kind of resilient years. But it's a lot. It takes its toll on the body. And again, radical health and what we're doing here is all about ultimately balance and happiness, right? I hope you love exercise. I want you to get, to get you to a place where you love moving and exercising, but not at the sacrifice of extra family time and presence. So that's kind of how I want to frame the conversation right off the bat. That more is not always better, and we can find a less but better approach if we prioritize some very important steps. Now, what we're really talking about in our radical health framework here is kind of looking at our step number five, which is pushing yourself and moving yourself, being physical, and a little bit of level six too, which is really dialing it in. And I'm going to bring it back to how important habits are in this whole thing to kind of bring it really full circle. But one of the bigger um, things that we need to understand and dissect in this space is this idea of cardio versus resistance training versus walking versus running versus all of that. Because I think one of the larger kind of mistakes that many people make when they start exercising is that trying usually to look better, move better, feel better, and predominantly, you know, lose weight seems to be the motivating factor for most people getting into an exercise routine. And most commonly, people will choose the route of cardio. You know, we've been told that cardio is amazing, and there is a little bit of truth to that. But like all things, it's balanced, it's nuanced, it's perspective, and there are some drawbacks to cardio too, especially when it becomes chronic. And this is how most people treat cardio. It's that idea, again, that a little bit is good, more of it is better. 
And then we end up with people pounding the pavement or jumping on the treadmill or getting in the gym and just grinding it out for hours and hours and hours of the week in this kind of no man's zone of training. It's a little too stressful to not be like walking and restorative, but it's not quite stressful enough to really force the adaptations and grow new muscle and give you all of the cognitive benefits and kind of end up in this wasteland of training where it actually just perpetuates stress. Stress perpetuates hunger and the few hundred calories that maybe you burn during that workout will be massively offset because of those changes in your body that have you subconsciously more often than not foraging for a little bit of food, you know, a little bit of extra this, a few extra slices of cheese, a little more helping of this serving of whatever it is. And now all of a sudden, the calories that your, you know, machine or your Apple Watch told you that you've burned have been massively offset because that exercise was stressful on the body. And this is a point we really need to own and focus on. The exercise is stressful in the body. And we have to understand that because we've got to own it. There's only one form of exercise that is really not stressful on the body because most people don't even see it as exercise. That's just taking a walk. And I want to talk about that and I'm going to come back to it because that's incredibly beneficial. But anytime we think about elevating our heart rate, getting under the barbell, throwing some kettlebells around, crawling on the floor, getting on the treadmill, sprinting, it's stressful. And stress is stress is stress and it comes at a cost. But if we find balance, that stress can be something that forces us to adapt positively too. These adaptive changes in our resting heart rate, our VO2 max, the quality of our muscle tissue, our strength, all of these things are very valuable. And you won't get them if you don't exercise, but the dose makes the poison. So this chronic cardio is not serving anybody. Attending six high intensity interval workout classes a week or just pounding the pavement and doing more and more and more is too much stress. We'll often heard it said as you're overtraining. And I want to push back on that a little bit. It's kind of hard to overtrain because your body's very resilient, but it's very easy to under-recover. And I think that's what most people are suffering from. They are under-recovering. And this is where we start to weave in this healthy daily routine, these habits that are so important before we even think about like, how am I going to become this savage in the gym and how am I going to get after it and crush? Are we focused on step three of our pyramid? which is what do your routines look like first, right? If you want to get in the gym, get after it and get the results for your work, you better make sure you're sleeping solidly, seven minimum, eight hours or more a night in a nice cold, dark room, restful environment, EMF free and really recovering. How are you starting the day? How are you managing your energy levels across the day? Also, let's throw in nutrition while we're at it. Our steps one, are you eating nutrient-dense foods like organs? Are you putting fuel back in to recover as you're breaking the body down? Step two, are you removing and eliminating processed foods? It's very stressful on your body to break down in the exercise process and then rebuild. It's going to have a harder time rebuilding if the body is in a perpetually inflamed state because of these highly stressful foods that are disrupting your hormones and your gut health, and ultimately your recovery. So we need a little bit of a holistic view again. We shouldn't put the cart before the horse and just be like, I can outrun my bad diet. I can exercise out all of this. Because it's not true. You need multiple inputs and you need these healthy habits. We need to prioritize sleep. We need to prioritize stress management. Because if you're stressed, you're eating crap, you're underslept, you're under-recovered, and then you decide to throw on six workout classes a week, you're not serving yourself. 
you could potentially be doing more harm than good. And I know that's hard to wrap your head around because how could exercise ever be bad? But it's all about nuance. It's all about perspective. And I think it's good to really start with these solid foundations and then weave in this, this, this mindset of healthy movement. So we talked about cardio. We talked about potentially overdoing it, this chronic cardio, how it drives up stress, how it dysregulates your hunger hormones, makes you a little bit more hungry, offsetting the good work you did to burn the calories during the workout. But if you want to truly look better and feel better, you want to raise your metabolism, which most of us want to do, the one thing you can do from a training perspective that kicks butt like nothing else is to build some muscle. We call muscle the organ of longevity for many reasons. Number one, that it does increase our metabolic rate. That also, it's a glucose sink. When we eat our carbohydrates, we know that carbohydrates get broken down and stored in either the muscle or the liver if they're not used for energy immediately. So the more muscle we have, the greater capacity for a store of energy that we have. It's also one of the biggest things that happen in our aging population. One of the main reasons people over the age of 60 end up in hospital is because they fall and they break a hip. And a lot of those people never get out of the hospital. And that's tragic because they don't have the structure around their skeleton. They don't have the quality muscle tissue. Now, we're not sitting here and telling everybody that they have to be Lord Swoldemort or get jacked out of the mines. But having a little bit of muscle on the body will go a long way. So this is where we weave in resistance training, moving your body under load. Yes, we can do this with weights, dumbbells, kettlebells, barbells, but your body is a pretty heavy thing. And if you move it in ancestrally appropriate ways, befitting of the primal patterns like squatting, lunging, bending or hinging, pushing, pulling, and then these derivations of gait, how do you walk? How do you jog? How do you sprint once in a while? Like if you can do those movements with quality and control under a little bit of load, you're healthier than 80% of the population, if not more. And then as you get stronger and build resilience, you start to up the load a little bit. At first, you can do a couple of push-ups. In a few weeks, you can do 10. In a few months, you can do 50. And the sky's the limit as you get to have fun with your training. So resistance training is about finding this appropriate dose of stress on the body that breaks the muscle tissue down. And the adaptive response in that process is to say, hey, if that's going to happen again, we need to be stronger. That's why we have DOMS, delayed onset of muscle soreness. If you've never exercised and you go and do some push-ups and squats, the day after you feel really sore, right? Because you caused a micro trauma at the level of the muscle. But then when you rebuild, you rebuild stronger especially if you're providing the adequate nutrition, the building blocks, the protein, the organs, you've got your habits in place, you're sleeping well, you get to draw out the maximum benefit for that hard work. So we wanna build muscle, we wanna avoid chronic cardio. We also wanna turn it up every once in a while. You know, we wanna sprint once in a while. We wanna kind of get after it, like our life depends on it. Now we think that sprinting, like using your legs outside in nature, on a field, on a hill, this is the biggest signal for sprinting. It's very ancestrally appropriate. It's fun, it's quick, and it promotes optimal gene expression in a way that very few other exercises can. It's a really strong signal for adaptation. And it has this inbuilt quality of athleticism to it. If you can run really fast and explode, you're an athlete. Doesn't mean they have to play basketball for four hours a week or do anything too crazy, but so many people lose that skill to move fast and accelerate and be explosive. And that level of intensity will transfer into your body in the way that it can move if you need it to move that way. Again, 
too much, too often, too much stress. But if we turn it up and hit the jets once a week, or maybe just a couple of times a month, we can find some really strong adaptive responses there. Now we start to zoom out and really think about well, what does this look like from a tangible perspective? How do, we, how do we kind of factor all of this in? And that's a tricky question to answer because people are at different levels. There are people listening to this podcast right now. They're at day dot. They've never really done anything. And maybe what they need more than anything else is to just start a daily routine of walking. And I know there are some people listening here that are going to three or four CrossFit classes a week or the rolling jujitsu or the throwing steel maces around and flipping kettlebells on the head. And those people may just need to take a zoomed out perspective and ask, am I under recovering? Where am I tweaking? Have I been still making progress? Am I progressively overloading? So it's hard to be super prescriptive with what we say is this is how everybody should work out. But we have some parameters, right? Are we moving frequently at a slow pace with our daily movement to avoid the stillness factor? Are we walking a lot? Walking is something called non-exercise activity thermogenesis, NEAT. And we want you to get your NEAT up because what's really important about that, the non-exercise piece is key. It's not registering in the body as an exercise because it's not stressful. In fact, it's de-stressing. It puts you parasympathetic to walk. The activity thermogenesis piece, the A and T, shows us though that there is thermogenesis going on through movement. So we're burning calories. What kind of calories are we burning when we go on a walk? Predominantly, we're in the presence of oxygen. We're breathing nice and calm. We're oxidizing fat. We're feeling really good. So walking a minimum, a minimum of 5,000 steps a day, pushing that up to see if you can hit seven, eight to 10K steps a day every day as a wonderful movement practice to up your neat, to burn a few extra calories, which is always a bonus, but do it in a non-stressful way that's not going to impact your hunger. It's not gonna leave you ravenous afterwards and scouring the cupboards for anything you can get your hands on. It's just gonna make you feel great. It's gonna help your metabolism, your metabolic flexibility, your ability to burn body fat, which is a wonderful thing. And you can habit stack. Step three, this building of healthy routines, forming these habits is all about habit stacking. If we're going to do that, how do we enhance it a little bit? Well, maybe we pull our loved one with us and say, you know what, let's take a half an hour walk every day and connect with each other about our days and talk about life or whatever's going on. Or maybe we love learning and maybe that walk is a wonderful time to put in a podcast like this one, take a walk, learn some stuff, have good conversations. Maybe you listen to an audio book, maybe you sing, maybe you turn it into a walking meditation, but you're outside, you get in sunlight, you get in fresh air. You can already see that this walk has turned into something that's so much more. Put it into your routine, prioritize it. So that's our baseline. We can be prescriptive with that for everyone. Get outside, move a little bit more, avoid the stillness factor because we don't want to succumb to this just couch potato thing, this active couch potato. We've burned all of our calories because we did the interval class and now we're just going to melt into the couch for the rest of the night. Always avoiding stillness because movement is life. Then we get into this resistance training piece, movement organic movement, functional movement, mimicking the patterns of our ancestors, mimicking the patterns of life, the things that we need to do, to put things up on a shelf, to bend down, to lunge quickly, to stop our kid from running into the road, to twist, to rotate, to play, to age gracefully so we can play with our children on the floor, play with our grandkids. Do we have the mobility to do that? Can we get down? Can we crawl on all floors like an animal? Can we be playful? Can we do these things because they're the things that bring us joy? How we get there is individualized. Maybe you love the gym environment. Maybe you wanna do more mobility. Maybe you wanna resistance train or power lift or CrossFit 
or do any other number of ways to get fit. But a good recommendation is usually three sessions a week of some form of resistance, some form of play, something that challenges you a little bit, but doesn't veer into that realm of chronic cardio. We have to understand the importance here of high intensity, but brief efforts. These are incredibly adaptive. And it's what the cornerstones of some exercise modalities are built on, like CrossFit, for example. The bulk of the workout, the 20 minute get after it section is brief, 20 minutes, but it's very high intensity. And we know from the literature that if you want to cause adaptation in the muscle, all kinds of stuff is, is needed. You need time under tension, you need load, you need variance and overload. But the biggest driver of adaptation at the level of the muscle is how close you take it to failure. And if you go hard and fast, brief but intense, you take yourself close to failure. You have a very strong adaptation because of that, and you don't need to take two hours to do it. So brief, intense workouts, which is kind of like sprinting, it's kind of like those high intensity efforts every now and then, are very, very beneficial to our health and allows us to derive the maximum bang for our buck. And then we get into play, movement, the things we do for fun. What are you optimizing for? I hope you guys have something in your life that you love to do. I hope you love to play or stand up paddleboard or go and throw around the ultimate frisbee or do jujitsu. Whatever it is that you like to do, is your exercise and movement routines serving that thing? Are they creating the longevity so that you can do that thing into your 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond? You want to golf forever? You want to hike forever? Well, what are you doing to protect your ability to do that? Zoom out. Think about your why. Play the long game here because... We hope you're going to be around for a long time, but we want you living radical for a long time. And the icing, the cherry on top, if you will, is the sprint. It's the get after it every once in a while and just go for it. Turn on the jets. If you can't do that with your limitations because you have sore knees or ankles, then maybe that's on a bike. Maybe it's on a rower. Maybe it's a couple of repeat sprints. But if you take that framework and you now apply it to your life, you see it's accessible. Everybody can walk every day or just get outside and increase their daily movement. We can all find time for the things that we prioritize. And if we prioritize a couple of lifts a week or a couple of bodyweight sessions a week, you know, two to three, if you're a highly trained athlete and you've got your habits and routines dialed in and you want to add a fourth day in there, go for it. If you're very highly trained and you've built up that callus and you're adapted and everything is dialed in, then maybe you can push to five days a week, but remember to prioritize that recovery piece, that nutrition piece, the elimination of processed foods, the dialing in of the habits, the sleep, it's so important, the hydration, the nutrition. That's how you're gonna be able to train for a long time, avoid injury, make this fun and do it for a long time. So with all of that said, I hope that gives you some insight into more of a animal-based perspective on fitness, something that's sustainable, will get you looking really good, feeling really good, and just being able to have some fun in this meat suit as you explore life. I hope you've got some tangible ideas to take away, and we'd love to hear from you if you've got any lingering questions so we can help you really tailor and individualize this. But with all of that said, it's time to get into some of our live callers and answer some questions. So let's do that. Okay, we have Murray on the line from New Mexico. And Murray, if you are with us, I would love to hear what your question is for us today. Hi there, I'm Mary. I'm calling in from New Mexico, USA. And I'm 72 in a couple months. I was animal, I was carnivore for the year 2020, then fell off. And I've been having trouble getting back on. I've been trying to do animal-based. For 2022, 
And I had COVID, unfortunately, in December. And I took the NSAID part of the recovery process. And I, my kidney got damaged. Um, I was getting a reading, a GFR reading of 46. It's up to 60 now, but I'm, my question is, what do I need to be tested for? Um, is this kidney score going to be okay? And do I need a calcium artery score at my age? Um, I, I'm, I'm having, a, having trouble restarting animal base and with these health challenges. And... Um, I wondered if you could give me some feedback about it. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much for sharing that. And I'm sorry you're going through a little bit of a health challenge, but I'm happy you're here so we can kind of get you back on track. So what we can say with good confidence is that when somebody is struggling with the motivation to get back on track or whatever that is, that some form of testing can be a really powerful tool to show you what you're working with. It sounds like you've been on Animal Base before, and I'm guessing that you felt really good, and this kind of run-in with COVID took you off track a little bit. And getting the test might be the layer of accountability that you need to get an insight into what's going on. I know you mentioned the, the calcium score scan, which is a very powerful test and will help you with putting your mind at ease as to where you're at, or giving you the evidence to suggest that, okay, we really do need to tighten some things up there. Testing is an insight and snapshot into what's going on at the time with what we're dealing with, and it can be very valuable data to inform the choices that we make. It's not going to change much of our recommendations because the animal-based model of eating you know, animal fats, animal protein, you know, fruits, raw dairy, honey as your sugars, is always going to be the cornerstone of what we build optimal health from and restoring function to your organs, which sound like took a hit because of some treatments and some runnings there, is gonna be basically what stores health back to the system. And how do we support organs? Well, we eat organs. We eat those organs in the energy of like for like, that they provide the adequate building blocks and nutrition to heal that organ, or at the very least to provide the nutrients that do heal that organ. And when we have healthy organs, we have a healthy system. And a healthy system shouldn't be seeing all of these issues around, you know, the worries around what if my arteries are, are so full of plaque and that could be either validated or something that we need to look at through testing. So I'm wondering, Mary, how that feels if you, you know, uh, you know, resonate with that at all. I want to use that as a, as a powerful way to kind of put yourself back in the position of kind of taking some responsibility here and being like, yeah, you know what, it is time to, you know, get back on the horse as it were and, and kind of tweak some things. And if that idea of, you know, just getting back on animal based and prioritizing those organs again is something that you feel is a reasonable thing for you to do at this time. Yes, I'm going to have an appointment on Monday with my uh, primary. I appreciate your feedback. And uh, yeah, that I'd like to speak with somebody. I was reading about the different uh, supplements this morning. Beautiful. Yeah, we'll get you hooked up. Thank you very much for calling in, Mary. We wish you all the best on this healing journey. All right. Next on the call, we have Elvis from Florida. What is going on, Elvis? What is your question today? Hi, how are you? Um, so I'm calling from Florida. I do animal-based. Uh, I've been doing it for about a year, year and a half now. Everything's going great, but the only problem that I have going through my mind is how much salt should I be having? Because I do eat a lot of red meat, obviously. Yeah. Um, and the salt seems to bring out more of the flavor of the meat, but you know, the more 
salt you have, the more flavors coming out. But sometimes I feel like I'm putting too much salt and I might cause some health problems later on in my life. Gotcha. Yeah, we appreciate this question, Elvis. And we do get this question a lot because it seems to be another one of those hard to die myths in our culture. It seems that the salt hypothesis of blood pressure and ill health, um, you know, as a downstream effect of overconsumption of salt may be a problem when you look at the average person eating the standard food diet, you know, full of processed food, which is ridiculously high in sodium. And also these other inflammatory cofactors, the seed oils, the gluten containing grains. But again, even then, if we kind of pin the tail on the wrong donkey, it's kind of hard to say, but what we do know with quite a clear evidence now and thousands of anecdotes is it is very, very hard to overdo salt. I mean, we're getting into pretty very high ranges of eight, nine, 10 grams before we're seeing some issues here with, with overindulgence of salt. So kind of like the red meat, saturated fat and cholesterol myths that I'm hearing you say you've been animal based for over a year now and hopefully you're sticking around because you feel amazing that you've hopefully been able to work through those and see that you know health is something that needs to be felt and experienced and that those are myths that this other lingering myth of the salt hypothesis of blood pressure and hypertension is very very flawed again the research is not uh, quality research and that in the absence of these refined ultra processed foods the salt really doesn't seem to be an issue. You know, personally speaking for myself, I'll eat anywhere from five to seven grams of salt on an average day. And I salt all of my food and I'll take some even elect extra electrolytes. And this is something that we need to take into consideration on an individual basis. You know, how much are you moving? And are you sweating a lot? Are you getting in the sauna once in a while? Are you exercising? And what is that, you know, doing for your enjoyment level? And ultimately, you know, how do you feel? So with that said, Elvis, uh, you know, how, how are you feeling? How are you responding? It's been a year on animal based. Um, I know this worry is there, but does that give you some kind of, um, I don't know, some peace of mind around the intake of salt in the absence of processed foods, which I'm going to guess you've eliminated being animal-based for over a year now. Yeah, I've eliminated a lot of my processed foods. You know, I, I I tend to work a lot on the road. So, you know, sometimes temptations and sometimes hunger just gets the best of me where, you know, I try to grab a quick snack yeah. the best that I can and, you know, just keep it going. But I've never felt better in my life cutting out these seed oils, these processed foods, it's definitely helped not only my energy, my skin, but like my, uh, it's helped a lot of stomach issues that I've had Amazing. from eating just normal stuff on a regular basis. And now I just eat my fruits, my veggies, and mostly red meat. And I have ancestral blend burgers and it's just done wonders. But I guess I've, I've gone to the hospital one time, well, mostly because, had an accident mm -hmm. um, and I needed stitches and they said my blood pressure was a little higher than normal and I was like well maybe I'm just putting too much salt I don't know yeah. but I exercise three to four times a week and I just don't know if that might have been one of the issues yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's that's really good nuance. So, you know, a couple of things could be going on there. Number one is you're in the hospital getting stitches. Uh, it's a pretty high stress state. You know, if you think about high blood pressure, the, the, the medical terminology is like hypertension. It's high stress. And, 
you know, there's certainly nutritional inputs to this, but there's also these lifestyle inputs too. You know, are you very stressed? Are you carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders? Are you in a hospital with a cut getting stitched up? I think it's safe to say that that's going to affect your, you know, blood work and your physiology at that moment in time. But remembering that that's a snapshot in time and that salt is one of our master electrolytes. It was very, very important for the running of the machine from everything from digestion and fluid retention optimally. And we get low in salt, we get low in these other things like magnesium and potassium, and it kind of throws us completely out of balance. So having the appropriate amount of salt in the diet is very, very important. And the nutritional guide, guidelines or the RDAs, again, are based on this idea that salt is this little white devil that's out to kill us all. When in reality, in the elimination of these processed foods, we usually want to drive salt up, if anything. It helps us with hunger and satiety and electrolyte balance and sleep and stress management. So from hearing what you say, it doesn't sound like you're going out your way to, you know, gorge on salt or get, um, you know, just ridiculous amounts of it. I would hazard that you are well within perfectly fine ranges. And if you want peace of mind to get that blood pressure checked again, I mean, you can usually even do this at just like your local Walgreens or Publix or wherever it is that you shop because you can put your hand in those cuffs and you can see what's going on there. And I, I, I maybe wonder if that was just a consequence of being in the hospital in under a, a stressful circumstances. We don't seem to um, see any issues of people with salt on an animal-based diet. And the only issues we tend to see is when people are underdoing salt. So how does that sound for you, Elvis? And is that something you're willing to do to just kind of like balance and get yourself in a good routine and then go check that blood pressure again to put your mind at ease? Yeah, I think I'm just, uh, the two situations that I've had my blood pressure checked was one with stitches and then the other one I was getting uh, antibiotics or whatever it was, yeah. but both under a little bit of stress and pressure and all that stuff. So yeah, it might've had some, underlying tones when it comes to the overall reading yeah. but yeah i mean i i just like the salt like i said brings out the flavor of the meats and i've been missing it for the last two or three weeks but knowing that i could probably get a second opinion and see what's actually going on absolutely we always encourage the the experiment, right? So it sounds like you actually kind of removed it with a little bit of this fear that it's creeping up. And that can actually sometimes have the inverse effect. You know, we think, oh, that's going to bring my blood pressure down. And because it's causing other electrolyte imbalances and in exacerbating stress in the system, it can have kind of a, a counterintuitive effect. So titrate back up, listen to your body, see how it feels. Don't fear salt. We're big believers in the power of salt. We kind of have these evolutionary anecdotes that a man is worth his weight in salt, right? It's been prized forever. You know, we've literally paid people in, in salt before. It's very, it's very tied to our evolutionary story. And it's very healthy food when you are not eating a diet that's built on the backbone of processed food. So keep doing your thing, Elvis, and circle back with the team. And I want to hook you up with one of our health success teams so we can really just get you on a nice organ supplement that's going to help kind of balance and provide you with those nutrient-dense foods to clear up anything that might be going on from a nutritional inadequacy standpoint and support you on this journey. So stay in touch with us. And let us know how you go. All right, next up, we have Kim from Arizona. Kim, are you with us? And please let us know what we can help you with today. Hi, I am. How are you? Very well. How are you, Kim? Good to have you. I'm super great. Thanks. Um, my question is this. I'm fairly, well, very new, I guess it would be considered to animal base, only about a month now, and I'm feeling great, and everything is going super great. And But I have the organs, so I have the beef organs, fire starter, and the immunomilk. Awesome. And my question is, I started out 
slow just to make sure that I've, I've tried each one and everything and it's and I've reacted to it really well um, no issues or anything so my question is is how do I increase my dosage of all do I do all three every day I mean because then that would incorporate up to 18 pills a day right mm-hmm. yep so how what's the best way to increase those doses and incorporate that into my whole regimen yeah that's a very good question it's something we talk about a lot here internally with the team because we see the power of stacking these supplements right but you you're dead on if you're taking three different supplements at the full dose you're you're chowing down a pretty big handful of pills there and it can be a lot so right <laughs> the permission slip here is that you don't need to right you don't need to do the full dose of all of these supplements if you want to take almost more like a a, a micro dose in perspective and you know it's three of this three of this three of this and stretch that out we encourage experimentation here because we realize the difference between zero like you're not consuming any of these supplements and one is massive, right? It's probably a bigger difference between zero and one than it is between one and six because we're now starting to put back in the things that we've been devoid of for so long. So try it would be my biggest suggestion, like to see how this goes. And if it makes it more digestible, easier to do, why don't we split those up with each meal that you do? So, you know, you do fire starter with breakfast, you do the second one with lunch, third one with dinner, instead of trying to take down 18 all at once, which can be a lot, you know, and it's just, you know, management of that. But maybe you realize that you feel just as good on a half dose and that's totally fine. Maybe you realize you feel amazing on a full dose. I think you took a very smart and uh, well thought out approach here to starting slow and adding a couple and then adding a couple more. That's how we encourage it behind the scenes here at Heart and Soil. So it sounds like your intuition is guiding you very, very well so far. And you said you're very new to this and you're feeling good already. (laughs) So yeah, I just want to know if A, that makes sense and you've got something that you can play with there and B, is there any other questions as you're new to this lifestyle that we can help you with? Is there any other sticking points that you're getting caught up on or anything else that we can provide you with some value? Yeah, if I could just come hang out with you guys for a while, that would be great. Come on um, over. But since I can't, <laughs> um, so that no, that makes me feel so much better because I just want to make sure that I'm getting the full benefit of everything that I'm taking. Um, and I was stressing out a bit about, gosh, if I don't do all of it, am I not getting enough? Because I do struggle with eating enough during the day, probably. Mm. Um, I'm gluten-free. I've been gluten-free for many, many years because I have celiac disease. Yeah. So um, that, you know, I, I eat really well, but gosh, like this morning I had a one pound ribeye and I'm so satisfied and happy yeah. and I just don't get that hungry again. Yeah. No, we feel this. Um, we It's something that is is it's like the blessing and the curse of animal base. Sometimes this nutrient dense <laughs> food is so satiating we feel full, we feel nourished. Right. We don't necessarily want to bypass those signals and force ourselves to eat, right? Because that feels counterintuitive. But at the same right. time, we right. can kind of get ourselves into a hole a little bit sometimes when we're just so full that we're like, well, I'm not going to eat. And all of a sudden, if we plug down numbers into something like a calorie tracker or a chronometer, we'd find out that we're eating 1,200 right. calories a day just because the food is so satiating. And that's not what we want to do because we want this to be healthy and sustainable long term, which we kind of come from this lens of like, how do we increase and build our metabolism up instead of decreasing it and slowing it down? 
And the answer to that question is not this paradigm of just eat less, eat less, eat less. It's usually eat more. Like in an ideal world, I want everybody right. to be able to have the sustainable results and energy that, we, that they want while eating the most food that they possibly can. Because it feels good. It's making sure right. that we provide ourselves with the adequate nutrition, especially when we're coming from this ancestral lens. It's very different advice when I would be telling somebody that eats the standard Western diet to eat as much as they can, because that's going to obviously break some stuff, right? right? But you're here, you're getting right, the organs, right. you're eating the beautiful foods that nature provides like ribeyes, and it's very filling. So the one thing I would say is to look, if, you're, if your intuition is already pointing you to the fact that you may be eating too little food, which is not an uncommon problem when adjusting to this way of eating, is to look at ways that you could take that meal, like the one pound ribeye, and add some easy to get in calories around it that are going to you know, just make it easier to get a little more fuel in the tank. And the only foods we've talked about here is ribeye and organs. So let's not forget you know, these offerings from our plant friends like fruits. Maybe just you know, um, a glass of freshly squeezed orange juice or a cold pressed juice with that. An extra couple of pieces of okay. fruit would go a long way. And another big friend of ours are animal-based nutrition you know, headquarters here is raw milk. We love that stuff. Raw dairy, cheese, get a glass of raw milk. Yes. If you want to, you know, kick it up and make it a little sweet, try a little dollop of maple syrup, see how that goes. But all of a sudden you kind of get the ability to add in an extra couple hundred calories per meal in a very easy to digest okay. way. It's not going to take time to chew it and eat it. And I think it will just protect you a little bit and keep you in this pro metabolic state where we can ramp up this metabolism, get you all of the nutrition that you need but also like not have you walking around like, oh, I'm so full, all right? Because it, it can be tricky sometimes. But right. what you will see, I think, is as you right. get more energy and as you get more into this, your your hunger will, you know, it kind of ramps up with it. Um, you know, it, it sounds like you've been on okay, a health perfect. journey for a while. And sometimes we can kind of, you know, pigeon ourselves our whole into a, a bit of a low metabolic state. And I'm excited for you to be in a very high um, life-giving pro-metabolic state. So how do you feel about that? Potentially adding in some liquid calories or adding some fruit to those meals and looking to sneak in, you know, over the course of the day, a couple hundred calories at each meal. And we've got ourselves extra 600 calories of nutrient-dense food there. And that, that will go a long way in, in helping with this uh, little issue. How's that, see, how's that sound there? That sounds so beautiful. It's exactly what I needed to hear. And then again, just speaking of my intuition yesterday i added in an apple i warmed it and Yum. put some cream cheese on it with just drizzled a little bit of honey and cinnamon and it was the most delicious snack and um i slept great last night and i mean i sleep great most nights but um that sounds that sounds like it's exactly what i need and that's guilt free i just didn't want to blow it you know you are not <laughs> so, gonna blow it if you lean on those perfect. kim <laughs> That's perfect. That's that's like in line with the exact kind of advice that we would give. And it's really cool to see that your intuition took you there. And there's the permission slip as well to not ignore when the body speaks for what the mind thinks. Because we do that to ourselves a lot, right? We're feeling like maybe I could do this. And then the right. mind says, no, 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 don't do this. No, listen to your body. It's very smart. It's right, very right, right. It right. Like it's I've a worked good job so of listening hard, to your intuition, you know, Kim. It's... And just keep knuckling down. And uh, yeah, it sounds like you've got a really solid foundation here. And time is just going to take care of the rest. You're awesome. Stay radical. Thank you for calling. Next up on the line, we have Carissa from California. What we what we got going on today, Carissa? Hi, uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, so this is kind of, I guess, a complicated question, but um, I have a connective tissue disease caused by a collagen mutation. Mm. Um, so it's a genetic disorder that is permanent. Um, 
It's called hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Now, there's like a lot of people who also fall somewhere on the hypermobility spectrum mm. that don't necessarily have um, a collagen mutation, but I have found it really hard to find great nutrition advice. Um, a lot of times uh, in the medical community, they just tell you to build muscle, but that's mm. really hard to do with a connective tissue disorder when your joints are all out of whack. Um, so I guess my question is, have you come across anybody, you know, either with a connective tissue disease or on the hypermobility spectrum? And what do you usually recommend in terms of training to build the necessary muscle we need to keep our joints together, prevent injury? And, and what do you recommend for the animal-based diet? You know, yeah. are there any modifications to that? I have been on this diet for a month and a half now. Yeah. And I, well, I also have a lot of comorbid conditions that go along with this, like psoriatic arthritis, you know, mm. autoimmune disorders are common in people like us, but I've been on this diet for a month and a half. I no longer have any psoriatic arthritis symptoms at all. Amazing. I don't wear my finger splints anymore. My red swollen joints are gone. Like it has been a godsend for me um, in terms of that. But I guess, uh, yeah. So, so what do you recommend in terms of training or diet for somebody who might have a problem with connective tissue? Yeah, what a question, Carissa. I just want to celebrate you for a second of kind of, you know, getting on this animal-based train and starting to heal. It's the best feeling in the world, right? And it's funny that you asked this question of, do I have experience? I do have experience with hypermobile and connective tissue, you know, patients. And my son has a little bit of hypermobility too. I don't know if you're aware of the common thread between oh, wow. the MTHFR gene mutation and hypermobility. So I've been kind of nerding out on this and helping people train and restore structure to lax joints for a long time. And again, another wonderful example awesome. of intuition guiding you to the right space of a first coming over to an animal based diet and understanding this idea that what we really do want to do is build control and structure around these joints and what basically builds those up, you know, the connective tissue of all of this collagen and the quality of the muscle and the best way to build that is to eat that stuff, you know, eat a lot of muscle meat and eat mm -hmm. a lot of collagen and prioritize those foods in particular whilst combining that with a more focused and nuanced training regime. And I love that this question is in this episode because we've been kind of talking all about this. What do we do to train? And in your case, it's, it's a little bit specialized, right? Because you have this little unique issue that you're overcoming. And what I would really ask you yeah. to lean into and focus on here and I've worked with people with hypermobility, so I, I do understand the, the resistance sometimes to getting started here because it's hard to hold integrity in the joint under load, of course, because that's, you mm -hmm. know, the joint has a high degree of laxity. But strength is the solution. It's always the solution in, 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 in places like this. It's, you know, strength is, is never a weakness and weakness never a strength. And quite literally here, that strength combined with the building blocks to restore function and quality is really important. So I think you're going to find um, mobility training incredibly, incredibly valuable here. And I don't mean to confuse this with mm. when you say mobility, a lot of people think flexibility and they think, wait, more stretching in a, in a hypermobile joint. That doesn't make right. sense. But mobility is very different. Mobility is not stretching. It's not passively lengthening the muscle and creating more laxity. Mobility is strength through ranges of motion. So let's take the hip, for example. One person would stretch the hip by sitting in a pigeon stretch and passively lengthening those tissues. That's not the solution for you. What we might want to do at the level of the hip is think about the way the hip moves. 
it flexes, it extends, it abducts, it externally rotates, and it internally rotates, and it circumvents. So we want to be able to take that joint through its full range of motion with control because by taking the joint through its full range of motion with control, we're building strength through range. That increases mobility. That's where the distinction is between flexibility and mobility. Flexibility is just being able to passively lengthen a muscle. Mobility is the amount of range that you have control over. People with hypermobile mm -hmm. joints that you're describing have access to a very big amount of range of motion. They do not control it. And that's why it's prone to getting right. injured, right? Because your body can essentially put you in positions that you don't have any business being in because you can't control it. So the way yeah. that you gain control in these positions is you focus on mobility work. And a couple of resources that are gonna be very, very helpful for you here is looking into a system of training called functional range conditioning. It's called FRC. And it's all about this principle, right? And with that, you're gonna look into something called kin stretch. Both of these are very much based on this idea of if we restore the function of the tissue's quality to take any limb, be it the elbow, the shoulder, the hips, the ankles, the knees, through its full range of motion under load. And when I say under load, I don't necessarily mean with weights. I just mean moving it in certain movement patterns. I almost want to get out of my seat right now and show you what I'm talking about. But when you find this YouTube channel, it will make so much sense. So I would say like address the joint that gives you the most issues and put in hip FRC and see what comes up. And you are going to go down a wonderful rabbit hole there of people that are in that community have had hypermobile joints and have restored function and strength through range. When you start to get some momentum in that area and you feel like you own your range a little bit more, you feel sturdier in your body, you're more grounded, you can start sinking into a squat with more control and things don't feel so loosey-goosey, now we can up the weight, mm -hmm. right? Now we can start maybe, you know, a few months from now when we've restored that function, we've got that strength, maybe you want to be able to, you know, squat some kettlebells one day or put a barbell on your back. But always we must walk before we can run. And addressing this hypermobile issue through training, that's where I would start. And now we come back to the beginning of what do we do from this animal-based perspective to set ourselves up for the most success here. I mean, it sounds like you've already got most of the way there, but something that I really prioritize here is lots of, you know, obviously lots of animal-based protein, but also really thinking about the balance of the collagen and the methionine ratios to the glycine and to the proline. So lots of stuff that is rich in collagen, you know, fatty cuts of meat, you know, the slower cuts of meat, like the chuck roast and, and bone broths and getting in extra collagen and also keeping that protein number high as you're going through this training program and building, restoring that joint resiliency. You need to provide the building blocks to get in there. You know, the the, the, the stuff you said about, seeing no symptoms now of your autoimmunity, you know, I'm wondering if there's just going to be a continuous effect that knocks on into the joint inflammation and the laxity and the soreness here now as the inflammation just keeps coming down and down and down as you stay away from the processed foods, the seed oils, the gluten containing grains, and in its place, you put in these, you know, what we think are superfoods. No, what we know are superfoods and will help you heal. And I also want to set you up with somebody on, on our health success team to get you a bottle of our hair, skin, and nails, which is just an incredible supplement for someone like you that's so rich in collagen and going through this healing process. So somebody's going to be reaching out to you to get you there as well. But I do want to say, uh, Carissa, I just threw a lot at you. So I hope that was helpful. And I also just want to give it back to you for a second to make sure you're feeling good and you've got some clarity there. Awesome. Yeah, no, I really uh, appreciate it. I'm always, always looking for new resources. I just, 
constantly researching and scouring the internet to find information to help me. But um, I really appreciate those uh, the, the YouTube channels you told me to check out. I will deep dive into that. Um, I'm really happy I found this diet. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I've seen nutritionists and dietitians in the past, and they had me eating mostly plant foods to uh, reduce inflammation, and I was not okay yeah. <laughs> no diets at all. Um, and so I just think that you know, like you said, it's everybody has their own challenges and sometimes you have to tailor recommendations to what works for you and sometimes find find those resources on your own or find people like, like you guys who offer really great advice to a lot of people struggling with common health issues. So I'm really grateful I found you guys. I found your supplements. I found this diet um, and I'm trying to just spread the word to everybody I know. Yes. Yes. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carissa. We are very grateful that you found us and we're very grateful that we get an opportunity to spread this message because we hear that story so much. You know, the, the dietitian, the doctor pushed me this way and I had to kind of break before I had the breakthrough. And now we're doing this and that's why we're here. So keep paying it forward. Keep being an example of what it looks like to reclaim your radical health and keep pushing. You're awesome. Stay radical. All right. Last but not least, we have Jeff from Louisiana. Mr. Jeff. How are you, my friend? What can we help you with today? Hey, how's it going? So, uh, see, so yeah, I've been animal-based for uh, probably the past year or so, and uh, it's been it's been really great. And uh, you know, not experiencing bloating or any issues really. Ener energy's up, and uh, just feeling satiated pretty much all the time with uh, with those kind of meals. Mm. But uh, I just had this question because I saw a couple of I, I've read some conflicting information about food combinations and specifically meat and fruit and uh, how those two shouldn't uh, maybe shouldn't be paired together or I mean me personally when I eat meat I love to have fruit afterwards because yeah. it's like a little sweet treat a little dessert yeah. and it doesn't do anything for me as far as my uh, I, don't, I don't get any kind of stomach issues I don't feel any kind of negative effects um, and but I've seen stuff about like uh, how that could um, like you know cause some uh, some issues with, with, if you combine the wrong foods and I just yeah. kind of wanted to hear your, your guys uh, your take on that yeah thank you so much Jeff no we, we we really appreciate this question and I think it's I think it's a very valid question I think it's a fair question because I think it's it's actually logically sound if we think about combinations of, of food pairs and what they do to hunger and satiety and downstream effects of that you know metabolically and on our pathways to question this right because if we if we just take fruit and meat out of the equation for a second and look at their constituent parts, which is like protein, fats, and carbohydrates. And in the non-natural states, right, in the processed food states, if we have like fat, protein, and carbohydrates together, like let's say in ice cream, we've got the perfect like hyperpalatable food, right, that disrupts all kinds of stuff that's going on. It's, I don't know about you, but if I start a pint of ice cream, I'm probably going to eat the whole thing because it's designed to be very much like yeah. that, right? It's tough because it's a perfect combination exactly. of those things that create the storm of hyperpalatability. So I think the idea behind that questioning of like, do we eat these foods together and, and what are they doing? And we get into deep complex pathways, the Randall cycle and fructation and all of this stuff that's thrown out there in this space a lot of the time. And I think honestly, 
we might be overthinking it because it makes sense when we talk about these things from a processed food perspective. It makes a whole lot of sense. I don't think it's a good idea at all to combine very calorie dense fat with very high amounts of sugar and high fructose corn syrup in the form of processed foods. It's a recipe for disaster, right? It's a recipe for overeating. It's a recipe for gut inflammation, irritation, oxidative stress, and robbing us of nutrition and, and basically our vitality. But Let's phrase that again for a second here and look at meat and fruit together. I mean, I think what you're, I'm hearing you say, and I you know, know the team and myself here support this idea that your intuition and your results are speaking for themselves so far, that nature provides food in this wonderful whole package like fruit and like meat that when eaten together is A, it's very hard to overdo. It's, you know, eating a ribeye with some pineapple on, you know, on the side afterwards is very different to going through a family sized bag of chips or a pint of ice cream, right? Because it's very satiating. The cofactors, the enzymes, the entourage effect of everything that is in these real foods is very, very different from the processed food equivalent. And I think we're making inferences from the processed food equivalents and applying them to ideas here that you know don't actually hold much weight, especially not anecdotally and from the thousands of people we're seeing thriving with the addition of these two foods in combination. The thing that you can do if you really wanna validate this, of course, is you can continue to get blood work and all of that stuff, but not lose sight of your subjective experience. Like, how do you look? How do you feel? How are you performing? What's your body telling you about this? It sounds like it's working really well for you. And it just sounds like you're curious. And I and we love that. We're curious. That's why we're here. We're doing this, right? So you're curious. You've heard this 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 thing in in that's been, you know, the seed of doubt maybe that's been planted. And that's great. It's challenging your thinking. And this is where we stand on it. We don't see that it's a problem at all to consume, you know, meat and fruit together. Um, you know, our good friend, Mr. Saladino has talked about this ad nauseum over on his podcast channel and on his podcast. So we would just consider that nature, if you don't mess with nature, it won't mess with you. And you're eating two of the most wonderfully nutrient dense, bountiful foods that nature provides with a huge bang for your buck on nutrition. The delicious, the nutrient dense, the satiating, it's hard to overeat them like it is to eat, overeat the processed foods. And that maybe we actually start trying to solve problems that don't actually exist. And that actually creates stress. And now we're back in, you know, we're eating healthy, but we're getting all stressed out about it. And stress is stress is stress and everything's healthy until it's not. So sometimes maybe we just need to trust the process, do the things that we need to do to validate our experience. And maybe that's blood work, or maybe that's trying time, doing less of this, doing more of this to see how your body feels, validating that through lab testing, if that's your jam. And also staying open and asking questions because that's what we're doing here as well. But our questions have led us to this idea that fruit and meat together is a, is like a one-two combination that's very hard to beat. So how does that feel for you, Jeff? Does it, I know it doesn't answer your question, you know, in a very, uh, you know, defined way, but there's some threads to pull on there and also the invitation to listen again to how you look, how you feel, how you perform and what your body's telling you. Yeah, <clears throat> if I go off of just how I look, feel and what my, what my body's telling me, then uh, obviously, you know, I, I, think, I definitely think I'm eating the right things for me because uh, before I, I, you know, switched to animal, animal days, I was eating still healthy, but uh, I was eating more grains and vegetables. And I, I'd look uh, and like look at my belly sometimes because I'm a, I'm a very lean guy, but I, I'd have this bloated belly. Mm. Uh, 
at nighttime, I, I, you know, that's when I'd, I'd look at it and be like, what, what the hell is going on here? Like, uh, I can remember asking, asking my wife, like, this can't be normal. Because, mm. uh, like, what, like, here I am eating, uh, you know, quote, unquote, healthy, but yet my, my belly is, is protruding, which when you're a lean guy, it's not a good look. It's like, you know, your shirts don't fit good because, at the, you know, it's like your belly is kind of protruding a little bit, but yet you're, you're, you're lean. And um, so I, I, when I switched to animal base, eating the meat and fruit combo, that, that went away like immediately. And yeah. now like every, all my clothes, all my shirts fit perfectly because my stomach's never bloated and uh, I'm, lean, I'm, I'm as lean as can be and I just feel really good. So uh, you know, I wasn't really worried too much about it. It was just something I've, I've uh, you know, like in the beginning when I started to get into all this, it was something that I did read. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was like, it was in, uh, uh, it was like Indi- uh, Indian source, like something, uh, like some other country was, was like that, that discussed food combinations and yeah. like food timing and you should only have fruit in the more, like more, it was like, you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, yeah. does, it, does it have to be that complicated or can it just be as simple as, uh, meat and fruit are nutrient-dense, bioavailable bio foods, the best foods on the planet, and eating them in combination is totally fine because I don't feel any effects, and yeah. everyone is thriving on, on the animal-based diet, so it's got to be – it can't be a bad thing. Yeah, I think you just answered the question better than I did, right? That It's it's natural, and sometimes we are trying to overthink a lot of this stuff, and again, that's where we potentially create problems and then attempt to solve them when they never existed in the first place. Look, the things, all the signs and symptoms are that you're moving in the right direction. And if that's the case, then you double down on that. But I'm curious, Jeff, I didn't hear you say any organs in the diet yet. So are you including any organs in the diet? We'd love to hear about that because you know we're a big fan of those. Yeah, I'm I'm taking uh, four of the supplements, the the kidney fat supplement. I'm taking the, uh, the all... The whole package. Lovely. I'm taking the beef organs, and I'm taking uh, the heart, the um, the one from uh, what's his name, George. The, George uh, Saint Pierre. The heart supplement. Beautiful. Yes, yes. Uh, so I'm taking all four of those, and, and uh, you know, like I said, I'm feeling great and definitely thriving right now. Good man, good man. That's it, Jeff. Let time take care of the rest. You just double down, my friend. Make the tweaks where they're appropriate, but don't fix what ain't broken. If it's working for you right now, just enjoy the ride because it's only going to get better, I promise you. You're going to be aging in reverse and feeling amazing. So keep being radical. All right, friends, that's it for today. That's all our callers. Thank you, as always, for calling in. What a show. We talked about all kinds of stuff, but mostly focused on the movement piece here. We really want to get you moving well, moving in a balanced way that builds your body up without breaking it down too much. We know that there's a little sacrifice. We know that it's stressful, but we know that if we're recovering right, we're sleeping well, we have our routines, we're prioritizing nutrient-dense foods, we're eliminating the most processed and inflammatory foods in our diet, that there's a way that we can have the best of both worlds. We can train hard, we can build, we can have fun, we can play without sabotaging ourselves in the process, without creating this hypercortisolemic state where we're constantly stressed and we're beating our bodies down and we're breaking and breaking and breaking. And you see, there's, you know, in those comments and the the hypermobility question, how everybody's journey is very unique. And you really have to take that framework and zoom out and use it to fit your needs and ask yourself, like, what am I optimizing for in this phase of life? What do I want to do? What are my current challenges? How can I kind of fit this in? How can I drop it into my current life? Some of you, it's just starting that neat up practice. It's just getting those walks. For some of you, it might be, oh, damn, I'm doing too much. I need to dial it back a little bit. For some of you, it's just 
all right, well, now I've got a framework and let me start applying this thing to see how it goes. That's why we're here to ask questions, to give you frameworks, to give you ideas so you can apply that to your life so that you may find radical hell too. So stay radical friends. We'll see you next Wednesday. All the best. Peace out. All right, friends, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Radical Health Radio. We got a fresh new podcast for you every Wednesday. If you enjoyed the show, consider liking, subscribing, reviewing, and rating us on your podcast platform. It helps to spread this message of radical health. We'll see you next week.